I'd like to welcome you again. My name is Brad Evans, I'm pastor of Family Ministries, and it's our privilege to be with you today. My bride, Susan, is here, and this December we will hit 25 years of marriage. Yeah, 12, and, and I guess I, it wasn't rocket science on my part, but 12, 12, 12, how's that? Will we hit 25 years, so maybe I'll remember it, you know, hopefully I will this year, but uh, then we have Rachel and Andrew, so... We are uh, glad to be here. Turn to Romans 14. We're going to be looking at the entire chapter of Romans 14 and the first six chapters of Romans 15. So thank you, Blake, for giving me this uh, section of Scripture that we're going to try to cover today. And it's going to be a lot of fun because it, it meddles. You know, we're going we're gonna to get into some meddling this morning with some things that um, we believe and what we hold dear. That's why I've titled this message, Unity, Not Uniformity, because in the body of Christ, it's essential that we as very different people, we live and function in unity. That's easier said than done, right? Because we're different. You know we're different? We're very different. We come from a lot of different backgrounds. We'll talk about that in just a moment. We're going to talk about the church in Rome and some of their differences. So how are these people to work this out practically in relating to one another in unity? Because the church is the bride of Christ. The church is to represent God to the world. So it's pretty important that we not only get along, but that we build each other up and encourage each other. So what we're going to see this morning is this passage is going to emphasize unity, but not that everybody has to be the same. We're all very different. Unity without uniformity. Because where the church has gotten into trouble is where we have set all these rules and regulations that you have to look just a certain way. And even back in Romans 12, we see that we have different gifts, right? We're very different. I want to ask you a question as we think about the Bible and we think about Jesus as the good shepherd, how are we as his followers described? The good shepherd and we're his what? We're his sheep. Isn't that wonderful? These fluffy creatures, we're his sheep. I want to suggest to you that may not be the best mammal to describe Christians oftentimes. There's actually another mammal that uh, is kind of prickly. And uh, this particular mammal has 30,000 spines on average. It's called a porcupine. You ever been around a porcupine? What happens if you get close to a porcupine? God's given them this great defense mechanism. And in preparing for this, I did research. No, they cannot throw their quills, but uh, they can swing their tail. And, and if you get too close to a porcupine, it can be painful. We come to Christ. Old things pass away, new things have come. We're new creations in Christ. Isn't that wonderful news? But guess what? We still have the flesh. I still sin. Do you? Yeah? So we're kind of prickly. We're sometimes difficult to be around. Sometimes we wound others. And sometimes that can be really painful. That can be extremely painful when we are around prickly porcupines. I know. I almost didn't want to put that one up there, but that's what happens, isn't it? Welcome to Grace Bible Church, you know? <laughs> But that's not our intent. We don't mean it to be that way, but we're, we're different. Um, how many men do we have in this room? Would you raise your hands? Okay, good, good. How many women? Would you raise your hand? Okay, good. I hope we got that one straight. Now, 
did you know that we're different? Yesterday, Susan and I were doing premarital counseling with a couple, and we were just kind of marveling at the differences of man and woman. You know what I mean? How to communicate. And uh, this other guy and I were kind of, we were uh, empathizing with one another on, on uh, and I got permission to talk about this, but we were kind of empathizing on how sometimes we'll say, how are things going? Fine. Well, it didn't seem like things are fine. Uh, you know what I mean? And so we can sometimes be at odds with, with each other. I mean, Friday, for example, I was having this great day. I was studying, I was preparing for this message. I was in God's word. I mean, I was really experiencing this, this amazing time with the Lord. And, uh, I mean, I was there, you know, uh, just connecting and it was happening and uh, really studying about how I was going to talk to you about this topic of how we're to relate together in unity and love and, you know, just, it's great. And Susan and the kids come home and uh, this isn't Susan's fault. I, I think I started it. Within five minutes, we were, we were doing this. What happened? We're prickly porcupines and our flesh rubs up against the other person's flesh and we can wound and hurt each other, can't we? We're very different. Men and women are different. How many of you were born in the state of Texas? Raise your hands. Okay. How many of you were born outside of the state of Texas? That's me too. I was born in Missouri. Okay. How many of you were born outside the United States? Yeah. Andrew's from Russia. Got people from different countries. Okay. So now here we are with bringing our different cultural backgrounds together. And or even if you're from East Texas, that's different from West Texas, you know? And we're, so we're, we're here, we're trying to relate to one another. You know how challenging it was for the church of Rome? You think it's challenging for us. Imagine this church, and that's why Paul's writing this letter. He's been spending a lot of chapters. And by the way, we've been studying this book since last fall. Is it making any difference in our lives? We've learned this great theology, but now Paul wants us to get practical. He wants to make sure that we get it, that we are to live differently as Christians. So he gets very practical, very specific. He doesn't want us just to keep it on the theoretical. He wants us to get down into how it affects our homes and how it affects how we relate to one another. Because again, we're representing Christ to the world. But the church in Paul's day had some huge issues. You had these converted Jews that they had been keeping the law. 613 laws, and they were trying to figure out which one of these still apply in the church. And some of them were saying all of them, okay? You got these pantheistic Gentiles that were coming in trying to figure this out. You had polytheistic Romans that were coming to Christ. And just imagine the struggles they had. And so Paul's writing this letter to say, hey, guys, Here's how we're to relate to one another in love. And that's where, really where he's going in chapter 14 and the first six verses of chapter 15. So the context for unity is love. And let's get a little bit of a running start here because if you look in Romans, we've already covered some of this, but if you look in Romans back in chapter 12, that we read, uh, let love be without hypocrisy. No hypocritical type of love, all right? And he says, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Verse 10, be devoted to one another in what? 
in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. So my love is to not be hypocritical, and I'm to be devoted to you, and you're to be devoted to me in brotherly love, okay? How about down in chapter 13, verse 8? Owe nothing to anyone except love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Love your neighbor. Love one another. We see that uh, the one who loves, as I just mentioned, fulfills the law. Also in, down in chapter 10, love does no wrong to a neighbor. Love, therefore, is the fulfillment of the law. So the law, Jesus fulfilled the law, and now he's given us a new command. And what's the new command? The new commandment is, um, oh, and uh, love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, skipped over that one in, in chapter 9. The new commandment he's given us is to love one another. In fact, he says in John 13, they will know you're my disciples by one distinct birthmark, by one characteristic, your love for one another. So in the context is we're looking at how we relate to one another and how we're to function in unity, not uniformity. The context is that we're to love one another. In verse 13 in chapter 13, he says, let us behave properly, okay? And in Ephesians, he would say, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. In the last verse of chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. You could say it another way. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ because it's out of Christ living in us and his love that we're able to love others. That's how we're to relate to one another. That's the context that he gives us is one of love. And love does no wrong. And we're going to see in, uh, it shows we're Christ's disciples, as I mentioned. And so I love this quote. It's in our essentials packet, St. Augustine, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, but in all things, love. In essentials, we're to be unified. And the non-essentials, we're to chill out, give some liberty, but in all things love. Now, here's the tricky part. What are the essentials? That's what the church has often argued about. I remember when I was growing up, there was a big discussion and big division in our church over pews or chairs and the color of the carpet. You know what I mean? Is that an essential thing? Well, back then it was. They thought it was. I was in high school, and we were um, to wear suits on Sunday morning, dress. Can you all remember those days where you wore suits to church? All right? I'm in sin right now. Lord, forgive me. That's just what we did. It was cultural. But on Sunday night, it was a little bit more casual. So a few of us started wearing jeans to Sunday night service. Uh-oh. Our church actually wrote a dress code that prohibited jeans. You could not wear jeans on Sunday night. And women had to wear dresses on Sunday night. To them, that was an essential. And it caused some division. It caused some heartache. All I'm saying is, as we talk about essentials, it's really important that we take a step back. And that's what Paul's going to ask us to do this morning. And let's say, is this really a timeless principle, a supracultural principle that is for all cultures, all nations, all people of all times? Or 
Is this a matter of preference and conscience? Which is it? It's important that we think through issues that way. Because if we allow our cultural biases or our personal preferences to reign, then we can impose our preferences on other people. And that can cause all kinds of issues. So Paul's wanting to head straight on at this so that we will relate to one another in love. And I can't stress enough how important this is. Because we've been given the great commandment We're to love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We're to love our neighbor as ourselves. And we've been given the great commission to go and make disciples of all nations. Grace Bible Church, how are we to do that if we can't get along? If we can't love one another? And if we can't believe the best in each other? And if our homes aren't strong? So that's why this is so important. In essentials, let's be unified. But you know, there's not that many, really. And you look at our essentials material, we talk about the Trinity. We talk about the Word of God. We talk about how important it is to we're filled with the Holy Spirit. We talk about some of those essential things. there's, There's a few essential doctrines that we need to hold to. The truth of the gospel that is free for all. We're saved by grace through faith. Those are essential elements. A lot of that other stuff, we just need to kind of chill out a little bit. We need to extend grace. And that's what Paul's going to tell us this morning as we go through this. So what were the issues in Paul's day? Well, that's a good question. Let's look at chapter 14. Chapter 14, verse 1. Again, Paul has just finished saying in verse chapter 13, the last verse, Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Now 14, he says, now, in other words, listen up, now, he gets practical, accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on his opinions. One man has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. Meat and vegetables? Are you telling me this is a, this is a big deal in the church in Rome? Absolutely. Let's keep reading. Let not him who eats regard with contempt him who does not eat, and let not him who does not eat judge him who eats, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge, the servant of another, to his own master, he who stands or falls? And stand he will, for the Lord is able to make him stand. So the type of food you eat was a big deal. I'll explain why in just a minute. Here's another big deal. Verse 5, one man regards one day above another. They're talking about the Sabbath. Another regards every day alike. Let each man be fully convinced in his own mind. And Paul's going to go on and talk about it's a matter of conscience in some of these, these issues. So what were the issues in Paul's day? Number one was what day should we come together as a church and worship? They were trying to figure this out. Another one is, can a Christian in good conscience should say, eat unclean food? Now, now what does that mean? The background, two years before, Paul had written a letter to 1 Corinthians. It's about uh, 56 AD. He's writing Romans about 58 AD. So background of this is 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. So just jot that down. You can go look at it. In 1 Corinthians, in the church in Corinth, there were idols and idol worship And there was meat that had been offered to idols. And then it was sold in the marketplace. So some were saying that you should not eat meat because it could have been tainted by idol worship. So no meat. 
Some were saying, hey, you know, it's okay because Jesus said it's, it's not the food that makes us unclean. It's, it's really an issue of the heart. So it, it's okay. You can eat me. Some weren't sure. So this issue of can a Christian in good conscience eat unclean food was a big deal. And the same thing with wine. Can you drink wine that might have been offered up in a similar situation? So that what they ate and what they drank in the day on which they worshipped, it was a really a big deal, and it was causing division in the church. It was, those porcupine quills were shooting out. And it was Paul needed to write this letter to the church in Rome to give some direction, to give some clarity to this issue. So that's what he does. So can Christians eat unclean food? Here, here are the options here. I'm just going to summarize what he has said in 1 Corinthians and, and some of this from our passage today. One answer is absolutely not. Absolutely not. Christians cannot eat unclean food. This is someone who is more of a um, judgmental Christian or a brother. Probably the Jewish Christians, they were they're holding a strict line and saying, hey, this is, this is essential. We cannot uh, eat meat probably in the minority in the church, uh, there's less freedom of conscience here because they were coming from a very strict religious setting. So to them, it was really important. And um, this was what was happening in terms of those who were saying absolutely not. Some are saying, certainly yes, absolutely yes, no problem. We can have meat. How, and some would say these are the stronger Christians, the more mature in the sense that they weren't letting the possibility of idol worship hold them back. So for them, it was okay. They could have a steak or a pork chop, you know, that's all right. However, in those some saying yes, you have condescending Christians who are saying, yes, you could, but they were looking down on the weaker one in their mind who didn't feel like he had the clear conscience to eat meat. So some were also saying probably not. They maybe can, but we're unsure. These might be the weaker Christians, those who, again, hadn't been fully understood the liberty that they had in Christ. Or maybe vulnerable Christians who were tempted to participate, but they were being hurt by some of the others. They just they weren't sure yet, but uh, they, were, they were vulnerable. There's a fourth group that we're saying it depends It really depends, and we might see these as uh, the stronger Christian, and really, this is where we need to go on a lot of the cultural issues that we have today on what, what we should and shouldn't do. It really depends. It's a matter of conscience. What is God speaking to me in this area? And it's important that we individually go before the Lord and we hear from Him. And as we're going to see in a minute, Whatever we decide, wherever we go, your needs and where you are are more important than my needs. Because I don't want to do anything that might cause you to stumble, as we're going to see here in just a little bit. So, you know, we have some very clear biblical commands. There are certain things we're to do and not to do. God is very clear. Is stealing okay? No. Okay? Timeless principle. Don't steal. Immorality? Is that okay? No. Timeless principle. We're, we're to maintain that. So some of these things are very clear. They're very set for us in Scripture. However, 
there are many gray areas, and I'm going to talk about some distinguishing questions we can ask, some determining questions in gray areas in a minute, but uh, that's where it gets kind of exciting. That's where it gets a little tricky. But what I want to say is, and this depends, it's really a matter of conscience. What is God leading me to do? But again, your needs take priority over my needs, because there's times, as Paul's going to say, that we need to choose to give up, even though we have the right, even though we can eat the meat, but if it's going to offend you, I'm going to choose not to. Because unity is more important. Unity, not uniformity. And as we look through this passage, I'm going to pick up on a couple of themes that we can get out of this. And one of them is that we're not to judge. We're not to judge other people. That's God's job. We've already read in chapter 14, the first four verses. Uh, he says, but um, in the end of chapter 3, let not him who does not eat, judge him who eats. Verse 4, who are you to judge? And so we see also down in chapter 10, but you, why do you judge your brother? Are you again, why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I say, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. Paul has also quoted this in Philippians 2. It's from Isaiah. Verse 12, so then each one of us shall give an account of himself to God. I don't give an account of for your life. I'm held accountable for how I've lived my life. In verse 13, therefore, let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in another brother's way. We're going to talk more about that in just a minute. But first of all, we're not to judge. Okay? That's God's job. Let's spend more time looking at our own lives and asking God to bring us into conformity of Jesus Christ and pursuing holiness and pursuing Christ-likeness in our own life instead of looking at other people, unless they're our children. And then we need to look at them very carefully, right? Uh, especially when they're young. So uh, we shouldn't judge. Instead, we should be accepting. Look at chapter 14, verse 1. He said, now accept the one who is weak. Let's those who are maybe spiritually weaker, let's accept them where they are. Let's love them where they are. Over in chapter 15, verse 7, Wherefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. Are you glad that Jesus Christ has accepted us just as we are? We come to him broken and needy and sinful, and he accepts us when we believe in him by faith. And receive his gift of eternal life. He fully and completely accepts us. And we become part of the family of God. So we need to be accepting of one another. Don't judge. Let's accept one another. What happens when we do that? It builds unity. What happens when we judge others? It's a unity buster. It does not build up unity in the body of Christ. Okay? Unity, not uniformity. Another thing we don't want to do is to cause someone to stumble. I just read part of that at the end of verse 13. Do not put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Down in verse 21, Paul says, It's good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. And in that case, Paul's saying, Hey, you know, I'm free to do this, but I'm going to choose not to because I don't want to cause my brother to stumble. What does that mean? The word stumble could also, it literally can mean 
stumble, right? Okay, you think, oh, I'm pretty bright, right? But it just, just trips somebody up. You put something in the way, and they trip them up. Uh, another word for stumbling is to ensnare. And it was used of someone who was going out trying to catch some games, and they would put out a snare or a trap so that that uh, little rabbit or whatever would come along, and it would catch it. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't put up stumbling blocks or something that might ensnare someone in the body of Christ. Let's be building up the body. Let's be building up unity. So don't cause someone to stumble. Instead, I think the opposite of that, let's pursue peace. Look at verse 19. Verse 19. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up for one another. So instead of putting up stumbling blocks, they're going to make it difficult. In, in other words, as we're going to talk in a minute, there are certain times while we have our rights and we have the freedom, we need to choose to say no because it could cause someone else to stumble. And instead, we should pursue peace in fourteen nineteen, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And when we pursue peace... God says, you're bearing my image. They will be called sons of God. Don't cause someone to stumble. That's going to break the unity. Let's pursue peace. Okay? That builds up unity in the church. How about another one? Don't tear down. Look at verse 20. Do not tear down the work of God for the sake of food. All things indeed are clean, but they are evil for the man who eats and gives offense. So you think of who we are as the body of Christ, we're not to tear down the body of Christ. We're not to tear each other down. Instead, we're to build one another up. That's at the end of verse 19. We just read it. Let me read that one again. So then let us pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Literally the equipping, the edifying, the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain, and here's the goal, here's what this is all about, this is why we have different gifts, this is how we're to function in the body of Christ, until we all attain to the, what? Unity is so precious to God. And when you taste it and experience it in the body of Christ, it's such a wonderful experience. Till we attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. So instead of tearing you down, I'm to build you up. I'm to encourage you. I'm to help equip you to do works of service so that we can again accomplish living out the great commission and the great commandment to God's glory. So we're not to be demanding our own rights. In fact, Paul would talk about how he was willing to give up his rights in verse 21. It's good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything by which your brother stumbles. He's willing to give those things up. Look at 1 Corinthians. Flip over to the book of 1 Corinthians. I mentioned to you that in 8, 9, and 10, in 1 Corinthians, there's a lot about this whole concept of relating in the body and the liberties we have and should we eat meat or not. But in 1 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Paul says, But take care lest this liberty of yours somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. And in verse 13, he says, Therefore, if food causes my brother to stumble... I will never eat meat again, 
Why? So that I might not cause my brother to stumble. There's a higher principle. And, and you know, this is kind of tough for us as Americans because we are so founded as a country on our Bill of Rights. You know, I, I doggone it, I've got the right to eat that steak. But, you know, if it's going to cause Reed to stumble here, then I'm going to choose to, it's okay. You know, there's other things. It's not that important to me because what's most important is that I build my brother up and I encourage him and I equip him in building up the body of Christ. So sometimes we need to be willing to, even though we have the right, to be give those, give it up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, we see Paul says, Am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus, our Lord? Yeah, Paul. Yeah, you're, you're up there. You, you're, it's, it's incredible, all the things you've done and all you've seen. So you'd think Paul's a pretty mature guy. He says, are you not my work in the Lord? And to others, I'm an apostle, at least I am to you. Verse 4, do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife? Right, verse 6, do not only Barnabas and I not only have a right to refrain from working. So yeah, Paul's got these rights, but he's saying again, the unity of the body of Christ is more important than his rights. Don't focus on myself, because when I'm focusing on me, my rights, myself, that doesn't build unity. Instead, I'm to focus, and my goal is to bring glory and honor to God. That's really the bottom line. Romans 14, 7 and 8, you might want to circle these verses. Oh, that, that was another thing. I was taught you, you're never supposed to circle. You're never supposed to mark in your Bible when I was growing up. But we believe in inductive Bible study, so we like for you to mark things and circle things. If, if your conscience is clear on that, you know, if not, then you're not free to do that. Then please do not circle uh, verse 7 and 8, okay? Okay, for not one of us lives for himself and not one of us dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the who? Whom? the Lord. If we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, who are, whose are we? We're the Lord's. Okay, it's not about me. It's about the Lord, Jesus Christ. This is his church. Look down in chapter 15, verses 6 and 7. I'm going to start in verse 5, 15, 5. Now may the God who gives perseverance and encouragement grant you to be of the same mind with one another according to Christ Jesus, that with one accord you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wherefore, accept one another just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. It's not about me. It's not about my rights. I'd be willing to lay those down. It's about glorifying God and honoring him, not only with my life, but collectively as we do that together, as we worship him and honor him and use our gifts and serve him and build up the body, we honor and glorify God. And the world looks at us and goes, wow, something's different. That's the purpose, right? So that they would be drawn to the Lord Jesus Christ by how we relate to one another, how well we love one another. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Great verse. Unity, not uniformity. I think you can really summarize this passage by Philippians 2, 3. 
In Philippians 2, 3, Paul says, do nothing. So as we think about what can I do, what can I do, is this okay, how is this going to affect others? Run it through Philippians 2, 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. And he goes on to talk about Christ's example and how he gave his life for us. I think if we just stop and prayerfully consider this verse as we're thinking about should we do something or not or how this is going to affect others, it's going to make things pretty clear for us. Okay, gray areas. I want to give you three points that are very, very helpful to me and I think will be helpful for you. If I'm trying to decide, can I do something or not, or what dress is appropriate, or can I drink or not, or whatever the issues are, we're going to talk about some of those in just a minute. Question number one, is it beneficial? 1 Corinthians 6, 12. 1 Corinthians 6, 12, the first part of the verse. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. And down in chapter 10, verse 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. So, Whatever I'm considering, is it beneficial? Okay. Second, could it possibly enslave me? Back at 1 Corinthians 6.12, the second half, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Could it possibly enslave me, or could I become addicted, or whatever? Another one, is it constructive? Does it build up? 1 Corinthians 10. 23, second half, all things are lawful, but not all things edify. And, you know, this as we think about Philippians 2, 3, considering others is more important than ourselves, and we think about these three questions here, is it beneficial? Will it enslave me? Is it constructive? That's a really good filter to consider some of the things we're doing or some of the whatever, that are are more cultural and are not as clearly spelled out in God's Word. So let's talk about some of these. Are these biblical or are they cultural? Let's talk about, let's bring this home here. Are these black and white issues or might these be a matter of conscience? And should this be something that I should go before the Lord and ask Him about? Is it okay to work on Sunday? What do you think? When I was growing up, this was a really big deal. I don't think it's as big a deal today, but uh, it was very significant that if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't work on Sunday. How would you answer that? What does God's Word say about that? Well, it says to keep the Sabbath and keep it holy. What day's the Sabbath? Well, if you're looking at how the Jews... It was was on a Saturday. And, you know, we've been set free from the law. But the principle of Sabbath rest is a super cultural principle. I, I mean, we need sleep every night. And the principle of experiencing rest in the cycle of a, a week is very helpful to us. A time to pause and, and, and seek the Lord. But when I was growing up again... This was a big issue in our home because we're farmers, and when it's harvest time, it's time to get the wheat out or whatever. And uh, it was always interesting how we figured that out with my mom and dad. Dad, his favorite verse at that time was, you got to get your ox out of the ditch, you know? And uh, he knew that verse, and so we would uh, harvest seven days a week. And so, is that okay? 
what do you think? Or were we in sin? And we should have shut the combine down and trusted God that it wouldn't rain. What do you think? We need to go before the Lord and ask him to give us guidance on a question like that. Is it okay to work on Sunday? Uh, Can I lift in my hands in worship? Wow. What do you think? Is that okay? When I was growing up, if you lifted your hands, I mean, they'd cart you out of there. And today, especially with college students being more expressive, we see more and more people feeling the freedom to lift their hands. Is it okay? It's a biblical form of worship. You know, I stand and lift up my hands for the joy of the Lord is my strength. You know, come on, let's loosen up. It's okay. But it's also okay not to lift your hands. And so if somebody in here is lifting their hands up to worship, don't judge them. Praise God that God's working in their heart and they feel the freedom to express themselves in that way. But that doesn't mean you have to. You see how this applies? Let's give each other freedom. Let's be gracious. Let's love one another in the body of Christ. Should Oh, let's skip this one. No. Should Christians drink alcohol? Is it okay? Again, this is a really important one that we go before the Lord and ask God, what are you leading us to do? Now, I was taught it's absolutely sinful you're going to burn if, you t- if a drop of alcohol ever touches your lips. That's what I was taught growing up. The Bible talks about we shouldn't be drunk with wine, okay? So let's be careful. Let's look biblically at our arguments on this topic. On the other hand, could it enslave me? It's possible. Do I have a history of alcoholism in my family? Am I around a brother that struggles with this and tends to drink to excess? Well, in that case, I'm going to choose to give, give that up. Do you see how this relates? It's a matter of conscience. It's a matter that we need to go before the Lord and ask him to, to search our hearts. I'll tell you this much. As pastors, we have together made a, an agreement that when we are out in public uh, in, in this community, because a lot of times someone's serving us uh, or, or you don't know who they are, they may recognize us at Grace Bible Church, we've agreed that we're not going to have consume alcohol in public. That's just a thing that we've said, you know, just in case, because I might offend somebody or I never know where somebody's coming from. And we've also said we were not going to buy alcohol in this community because the checker at HEB or wherever, it might cause her to stumble. I don't know where she is. So uh, I have Matt Martin go to Snook and buy mine. Uh, <laughs> no, not kidding. No, I'm just, just kidding. Sorry, Matt. But you see the, you see the point. We're, <laughs> we're, we really seek to as pastors, be sensitive to the culture in which we live. Now, if we're in Europe, it's a different area, right? And I don't mean to make light of that. If this is an area that you have a family member that that struggles, or or if you personally do not feel God's leading you to do that, don't, okay? So, But this is a matter of conscience, of going before the Lord and saying, Lord, what are you leading me to do? Uh, Can Christians listen to secular music? What do you think about that? Is that okay? I'll just keep going here. Can Christians get tattoos? As long as the fish, right? The ichthus, then it's okay. 
I know my kids aren't getting tattoos while they're in my house. But is that okay? More and more people. You go to Schlitterbahn, you're going to go, wow, there's a lot of tattoos, you know? Is that okay? What do you think? Well, let's go before the Lord. But if somebody has a tattoo, somebody comes in here covered with tattoos, let's don't judge them. Let's share Jesus with them. Let's love them. Just like we'd love anybody else, okay? How about this one? Where should my children go to school? It's got to be public. We've got to be a light in the community. It's got to be a private school. They'll get a Christian worldview. It's got to be in the home because that's our responsibility. What is it? What's God leading you to do is the bottom line. What is God leading you and your family, you and your wife together? What is he leading you to do in this area? All right? See how this works? See how this applies? We're to go before the Lord and ask him. Can Christians smoke? What do you think? Cigarettes? Well, an argument can be made that our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Smoke can cause, can cause cancer. Nicotine can be addictive. But what if I'm smoking a cigar? You know, that's kind of cool. My buddies or a pipe, you know? Pipe looks scholarly, you know? <laughs> What's okay? You need to go before the Lord on this. Okay? Again, my kids aren't going to smoke, but uh, someday when they're out on their own, they're going to need to go before the Lord on this. And you may be saying, hey, this, is, this, is really, this one's really cut and dried for me. Great. I'm glad. But give freedom. Be accepting to others who may feel differently on this. Oh, here's a good one. What movies are okay? Can I see a G movie? Would you agree with me that G movies are okay? Okay. okay, well, but you never, you know, the previews, there could be some bad stuff there. What about PG? What about PG-13? Which is really what an R was just a few years ago. What about an R movie? Christians, can we see R movies? You know, as long as there's violence and nothing, you know, otherwise. You see what I'm saying? What is God leading you to do? How is this going to affect others around me? Who's going with me? How's this going to affect my children? How's this going to affect the body of Christ? How's this going to affect me as I'm seeking to be a pure vessel before the Lord? I need to be really careful in in what forms of entertainment I allow to go through my eyes and enter into my brain because it's going to have an effect on me, which will have an effect on you. What clothing can we wear? Issues of modesty. My daughter and I, uh, she asked me, she just had prom. And so, you know how hard it is to find a modest prom dress these days? So I go with my daughter, and we go, it has to pass the daddy test, so that's why I'm there, right? And uh, for those of you with little girls, your day's coming, I'm telling you, it's hard to find modest clothing today. And our culture is pressing you ladies to show lots of skin, that's what... That's what our culture is doing to, to girls today. And so I, I was interesting. I was talking to Matt Morton, our college pastor at Anderson, and uh, I was asking him about this topic. He said, you know, uh, when he was teaching a passage, he did a survey. He asked the college men and women to fill out this survey about modesty, about what's appropriate. And so here's some responses from some of the guys, because he wanted to ask the guys. So again, not pointing fingers at anyone here. I just think this is an issue that's important that we think about and pray about as a church. 
So he's talking to the college guys, and he asks them to fill out this survey. Uh, he said, what do women communicate about their character by how they dress? On a scale of 1 to 10, how much are you affected by what the women around you are wearing? One answer, I have to make a conscious effort to focus on something else. Otherwise, it can turn into a distraction. Another college student, a male student, said, If a girl is wearing something revealing, I notice it quickly, then spend the next few minutes in a sort of struggle to not look back at her. If she's constantly in my view, it can be pretty distracting for the whole time because I'm having to focus a lot of energy into not looking. And this is at church, so he's being distracted. Okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, how much does a woman's clothing affect your perception of her character? This young man said, 9. I hate to say it, but it makes a huge first impression on me. I don't assume the woman is impure or doesn't desire purity, but revealing clothing gives me the perception that the woman is not spiritually mature because she doesn't understand the effect her body can have on a man. Another one, what a woman wears is a big judge of character to me. This is really good. If a Christian woman dresses modestly, to me it reflects maturity in her walk and an understanding that her actions and what she wears has a significant effect on other people's walk. In other words, she's being considerate to others around you. Another question, what one thing would you want to communicate to the woman you know about the subject of modesty? I like this one. Unless you're my wife and we're at home, please wear lots of clothes. (laughs) If there's any doubt, put a sweater on. Okay? Here's another good one. Your modesty or lack thereof attracts some guys and repels others. If you dress in a way that calls attention to your body, you will attract guys that are interested primarily in your body. But if you dress in a way that puts a beautiful heart on display, you will attract godly guys. As a guy who is looking for a Christ-like woman, nothing is more attractive to me than a girl who is confident enough to forego the attention she could get from her physical appearance and put her heart on display instead. When I see that, it tells me she trusts God's and finds her worth in Him. Isn't that good? And guys, by the way, I mean, I'm talking about girls here, but we need to not view women as objects and to see them as made in the image of God, right? And so that's how we relate as men and women in the body of Christ. To live above with saints we love, ah, that will be glory. To live below with saints we know, well, that's a different story. It's a struggle, isn't it? And we need to recognize we're different, we're made uniquely, and let's extend love to one another. Got a picnic this afternoon where we will get a chance to do that. And so I hope to see you all this afternoon at the picnic. Let's close in prayer. Lord, we love you and we really thank you for this opportunity we have to study your word. And I really pray that each of us will search our own hearts in some of these matters of conscience. I pray that we will consider others as more important than ourselves. I pray, Father, that we will really put on Uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, be filled with the Spirit. And we know when we're filled with the Spirit, the first fruit is love, that we will love one another well, and that we will really be willing to even give up some of our rights for the sake of others uh, in the body. We pray, Father, that uh, the body of Christ and you being glorified will be first and foremost on our minds. And would you please search our hearts, even as we evaluate some of these gray areas? Are there any areas in our lives that you want to draw our attention to this morning, that you're saying that we need to change, that we need to 
be considerate of others, or we need to begin doing, or we need to stop doing. Let us be sensitive to the leading of your Holy Spirit, and we just really pray that um, you will be honored by how we relate to others. And if anyone is here this morning who has never trusted in Christ, Lord, I just pray that uh, your word has uh, been a light and that they will understand you are their creator and uh, your salvation is free to all who will believe in Jesus Christ. We love you and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. See you this afternoon at the picnic.